Hello, players who try to play chaotic neutral but always end up playing lawful neutral. And DMs who write character backstories that'll make the opening crawl on Star Wars look like a one-liner. Welcome back to Table Talk. Welcome back. I'm Maddie. And I'm Robert. What do we have on the dock? Is docket the word? Yeah, I feel like I've word. said this on the podcast before. Yeah, docket's the word. Okay. Yep. Um, on today's docket, we're talking about um, how to ethically DM and how to like be a moral player, <laughs> uh, which sounds like a very heavy subject. I think, what was the title for the episode? It was uh, like... Chaotic Good Players and a Lawful Evil DM. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's just going to be talking about like how to be a good person as a player. <laughs> where to draw the line as a DM. So, like, my first note was, does racism have a place at the table? Which is, you can't say it's not a heavy episode and then start with that. Yeah. No, it, it for sure, for sure is. Um, but, like, racism in particular, we've talked about this before several times. Like, why do some DMs or universes in, in the fantasy world insist on having racism. racial like racial tension and racial relations like yeah. that are negative um but i think part of that it's kind of two-sided in the sense that like on one hand why does it have to be at the table and why does it why does it belong in fantasy but i think the other thing is like as much as we love to think that fantasy is so like different and far removed from us the one thing that we as like a common people have always done is discriminate against people that don't look like us. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's incredibly hard to write a fantasy world where, it, at minimum, there's not like family against family or tribe yeah. against tribe. Like that tribalism, us versus them, is always there. It just starts to feel a little gross when, when it you're... takes, like, when it's just straight up racism. Yeah. And when you're reading a source book and it says, like, members of this race tend to fall in this mentality. Or I think tend to that, get shit on by others because of yeah. their appearance. It's like, mm. And then even in some source books, I'm not going to name names, um, but there's a little box yeah, we when you're read reading through a few of them on that the podcast. says, uh, here's what this race thinks of other races. Mm -hmm. That's crazy to me. Or here's the moral tendencies of this particular race, like... I don't know, fucking, uh, this isn't true, but, like, kinkus, it might say, like, on a little text box next to them, kinkus tend to be, like, chaotic neutral or chaotic evil because of, and then insert something fucked up about how they look like birds to everybody else. Yeah. Or it's, like, dark elves tend to be lawful evil because they've been discriminated against mm -hmm. by serving the dark lords, like, dumb shit like that. Yeah, and, and it's a thing where, like, most... I say most every instance of D and D that I've encountered in my life, and like that I've talked to people in their tables and the way that they play, none of that really has a place at the table because there's like all the stuff in the source books that you'll read about like oh well tieflings are like discriminated against because or of their infernal be heritage or, and they're you know. evil and blah 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 and it's like well I think that like no matter what race you are in this world you're still a person. And I think that well, people the whole are thing a little like bit more, like, complicated. Every, every race, even today, like, in real life Earth, like, every group of people has their hillbilly. Every group of people yeah. has their snob. Like, everyone, every race is going to have their group of dickheads that just yeah, there's, are a little louder than the rest of the people in the room. And so yeah. it's really easy to point and go, look, that's what they're all like. Yeah. 
I think there's ways that you can subvert it and kind of like make it funny in game of being like, no, mm. listen, that's okay. So yes, there's that stereotype, but like 95% of tieflings, our infernal heritage actually doesn't come from like, yeah. or like you know, our mom fucking a demon. Like, actually, I'm super aware of everything I'm doing or like, yes, I'm an orc or a goblin living in a cave, but I'm actually a clean freak. So fuck you. Yeah. And I think so the first person that comes to mind when talking about that is Brennan Lee Mulligan, who's done that yeah. with several characters where like they're yeah. inherently evil or they have like a more evil or kind of fucked up characteristic and then like in a one-off funny monologue he'll be like actually I'm a real person with real feelings yeah and I don't fit that stereotype one of my favorites in like this is kind of the reverse of that it is in fantasy high that like the iconic monologue of like um the the buddy family mm -hmm. um is this like cute little family full of halflings, like a nuclear family of halflings. Yeah. And then you find out they're like hardcore anarchists. And he's like, you want to make some bacon? And they like Molotov cocktail and they blow the fuck up out of a police station. Yep. And like, that's another one of those like fun little subversions of it. Flipping the tropes this on their head. This world exists where like you view halflings and it's like, oh, they're mm -hmm. these cute little harmless. Yeah. Like Lord of the Rings. We're making, yeah. we're making fucking like meat pies and, and walking and around with hairy toes, living in the Shire, just, you know. <laughs> Chilling in fucking Harry hills. Foul. Chilling in the hills with round doors, you know? Yeah. Nah, bitch. Cook, and it's, cook the pigs. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, agree. Yeah, cook uh, are the we pigs, baby. That? No, I, I meant in that situation. Oh. In that yeah, situation. Yeah, I totally just meant in that situation. <laughs> I just meant in that situation. Jesus. <laughs> Never cook mind. It's a fantasy high. God damn. It's a fantasy high. Strong fucking take, dude. Uh, I mean, hey. Listen. Yeah, I think racism, to get back a little bit <laughs> off of, off the range. Um, I think fantasy racism has its place in time. I think there are ways to do it tactfully and to do it meaningfully. I agree. Um, but when it's just like you're living in a city that is discriminatory against elves, and so 95% yeah. of your interactions in a city as, a, as an elf character is just fuck like, you. We don't like your kind fuck here. Fuck your ears. Fuck, fuck you and your, like, long life living ass bitch. <laughs> like, you're agile. Have fun getting shot in the face, agile. Like, Christ. it's just, but there are some times truly where, like, that's the fucking feeling is, like, I yeah. can't step no, foot I in mean, this bitch. No, I mean, we've talked about that, and that was, it was something that, like, kind of came up in um, our previous campaign Fair with Haven. the World Serpent, mm -hmm. is we were in Fairhaven, and Fairhaven is a predominantly human city, and I was playing a elfin character, and that was so My loud. Bad. My bad. Um, I use uh, SodaStream. I'm not Shout paid. out SodaStream. Yeah, Sponsor us. Not sponsored, but I absolutely love SodaStream. I went to Germany for a week and came back addicted to sparkling water because I had a soda addiction in the U.S. And then found out that the U.S. charges probably about three times as more for sparkling water as it does for anything else that's carbonated or has uh, flavoring in it. So I just yeah, because you're one of like six people that drink it. Yeah, well, you know, it's better than being addicted to soda. So I agree. Anyways, I that love was that me. Germany is what got you addicted, and Germany not being in the UK for yeah, because four months. Because Germany, listen, the UK was like, you can have sparkling if you want to. In Germany, it's like you sit down at the table and they bring you two different bottles: one that's sparkling and one that's not. They don't ask you; they just give it to you. Fair enough. And I was like, damn, this is like healthy bottle service. <laughs> And anyways, now I'm hooked on SodaStream because it's the only, it's the what cheapest way I, to do what it. What was so. I talking about? You were talking about, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Fairhaven. Uh, Fairhaven, yeah, Fairhaven. Um, Humans, so, elves. Uh, yeah, and I was playing an elf character, and so there were, like, a few, like, throwaway comments of, like, no, you're very recognizable because mm -hmm. you're an elf. you're an elf. With white 
hair mm-hmm. and you're doing magic in a place where like yeah there's magic everywhere but not in the way that you're doing it mm-hmm. um and there's a difference between like you stick out because there are so few of you in a city versus yeah. being like well, I mean, just to compare it to like American racism, sticking yeah. out because you look different than the supermajority because you've been oppressed. Yeah. Right? Like, there's just, there's a big difference in that. Um, and then we ended up going back in time in this same city. And, uh, <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. And it, it got, it got a little harsh because we had a Seder character we who immediately like just like starts walking around. And this is a place that's like, all right, like, n- like, very very human i don't know what the mm. actual stats are on it but like in it's at our like table 75 percent i think is we is what the human population is uh but we like buffed it up and it was like mostly human so the remainder of the 25 percent then is every other race yeah so when a satyr shows up mm-hmm. from a like a magical door and so you're rolling up with a satyr a warforged mm-hmm. a high elf Big robot. and then just a guy um yeah, he was just a guy it's funny as fuck and everyone's kind of like, no, yeah, we're going to take you in for questioning. This is a little suspicious, you know? Yeah. And well, then and it didn't help that also the satyr immediately, like, kicks the cop and starts running. Yeah, he just, like, fucking go kicked this bitch and then <laughs> ran down the street. Before anyone could say anything. And he that's how we ended up him. in jail. And then he ended up uh, performing his way out of prison. Um, is is a goat god of death and scared yeah. the police department so bad that they let him leave. He it killed was. a man <laughs> via heart attack. It was wild. It was very wild, and then that actually ended up becoming his um his final. <laughs> that was his final arc. His final arc was actually achieving that status in Theros. But anyways, I think that's that's kind of a fun segue into ethically DMing, um, and how to like when and where to stick to your rules of a particular universe. Mm-hmm. So. Going, hey guys, uh, this is a fun fantasy universe, but also you all just showed up with the most like chaotic group of people that would stand out like a sore thumb in the middle yeah. of the city. Like they're in costume. Homegirl's in a jester costume. It's not subtle. So obviously, cops are going to come and question you because, number one, it's a city and a supermajority of humans. And at the time that you all went to, it was even more human than anything else. Yeah. And then you all just showed up through a fucking magical door. It started being loud as shit, like yeah. so, like fucking questioning a flower shop owner. And then, of course, the cops show up, and they're like, hey, guys, what the fuck is this? And Where then, are y'all from? Yeah. We haven't seen one of you before. Yeah. And then, of course, the goat jumps up and then kicks a man in the chest and leaves. <laughs> but, like, that was a moment for me where I was like, it, it, I could have just been like, the cops aren't really a thing, or, like, it's a fantasy universe who gives a fuck if a goat shows up in the middle of the street. But also... Um, I like to play a little bit more realistic and kind of like a hard line, what makes sense. A lot of people call it a headcanon. Um, so like headcanoning that, yes, the cops don't like people with like goat hooves. Question, is it headcanoning if you're the DM? I think sometimes it is, though. I think, no, I guess that's fair. Because it's, it's a line, though, because sometimes you'll set rules in your universe and then have to headcanon them differently or headcanon them away. Yeah, um, no, that's fair. Well, the other thing, too, is, like, this power says that I should be able to jump 75 feet. Can I do that? (laughs) And a headcanon, and it's, like, where you're standing and the, like, state that you're in, realistically, no. You're at 1 HP. You've just been brought back from the dead, and now you want to jump 75 feet, like, vertically? (laughs) Like, you're in a healthy state? No. Incorrect. You can give (laughs) me, like, a dexterity saving throw, but I'm not just going to let you do it. Like, that, for me, is what headcanoning is, I guess. So, figuring out where, like... Magic meets the realistic side of like being an adventurer yeah. in a stressful I mean, situation. There was a way of like 
Uh, not to take it back to like constantly examples from like our own experiences, but mm. that's how I, as a person, learn and relate to things. Um, <laughs> there was a moment where my character had a wild magic surge, rolled, and was basically like, "Cool, if you die within the next like minute, you're gonna come back to life via mm. reincarnate." Fully different and, body, whole yeah. nine yards. And I was just about out of spell slots, and we were at a like tough point, and so I was like, "Cool." I think the best way for me to get my spell slots back is to kill myself and then come back. And I did. And then you were like, okay, I know you want to cast spells. I'm going to need a long rest before Mm. you cast spells because you just died, like killed yourself, went on like a whole like one-on-one conversation with an ancient God Mm. and then came back to life. And like, that's something that like makes sense. And that's like, I, I think that's bound in like rules of like whatever universe that you've created. Yeah. Um, but I think where it gets, and this is kind of where the, the ethically DMing um, is part of the sort of episode idea comes from, is there's, there's a line that you kind of have to learn as a DM at when to fudge your own rules and when to just let things go versus when to stick to them. Um, like if your players are, say they're in their first, like their very first combat encounter and they're all looking like they're about to get fucked. This is a time where, no, you didn't have an NPC set up for this encounter because you wanted them to do it themselves, but now you're going to bring in a really cool NPC to come and help them and then maybe even, like, push the story forward or give them a character to latch on to. Versus, like, if you do one extra point of damage on this damage roll, this player is going to go down, and that's going to fuck up the whole encounter for everybody. Maybe they do, like, two points less damage just to give them an opportunity to get out of the space. Um, I think a lot of times some DMs get really really caught up on setting hard and fast rules that they refuse to break, um, like not fudging rolls or not altering combat encounters or not changing the DC for a particular check. Like sometimes, uh, most of the time, I'll say give me a check and I don't even tell them what the DC is because I just want to know what they're going to get. Yeah. Like I, I almost never give DCs because I just don't, it's not that I don't believe in them, I just, I can't lie uh, or fudge, or make it more fun experience for them if they know that they haven't met that DC. I, as a player, prefer not hearing the DC. And sometimes I will give it, like, I'll give one to them, like, if it's, like, a big moment, like, um, again, Dimension 20, like, Box of Doom Roll. Yeah. At that point, I'm okay giving a DC or giving a hard line or a threshold or a really specific rule. Like, when it comes to really tense moments where this is, like, the the very like peak of the story or the big combat encounter and like this role is going to decide everything i'm less likely to fudge those than i am just like getting people through the story or giving them a cool moment but like yeah most of the time i don't give people dcs i'm just like roll roll a check if it's you know say they get an 11 and this is something that like realistically they would have had to get at least a 20 on you know a little bit but not a lot um but if it's something i really really want them to know and in my mind the dc was 15 and they hit a 14 I'm like, fuck it. You know what? They're smart people. I'm going to give it to them anyways. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where figuring out, for one, what kind of a, a sort of, um, oh, how do I say this? What standard do you want to set for your universe when you go out and make it? Like, the one that we're playing in now um, is a lot less intense in some ways. I mean, it's, there's certainly been combat encounters and story moments that have been very intense. We've died so many times. You have. You have gone down a lot of times. But in my mind, that ha- that's happening because you're first-time heroes. Yeah. You're heroes that don't know what you're doing and figuring out how to interact as a group. Like, even in combat, you all still very much interact in a solo way. You don't really fight together. You fight separately. Yeah. Um, and so part of that punishment then for me as a DM is like having you all go down more, giving you tougher encounters to force you all to think together as a group because that's ultimately what like a party 
or group of zero superheroes has to reach. Like the Avengers don't get good at their job until they work with each other again and again and again and again and learn how to play off of one another. But like for the most part, um, I like to keep things kind of more light, fresh. Like there have been several times where people have come close to almost like fully dying, like dying, dying yeah. in this campaign already in the yeah. first couple combat encounters we've have. And I'm just, I'm not going to let them get to that point. Like I've had players like, so could I have really died there? No. Like I'm not. No, we're literally we're like three characters. <laughs> we're six, seven, eight sessions in. You're barely hitting like story. Like we're just starting to get some momentum on story points. I'm not gonna fucking one off your character. Yeah. On the third combat encounter, like there's just yeah. no reason for me to do that. And that's where I feel like ethically DMing really comes into play. Like also just be a decent person. Yeah, and I think something I've seen when it comes to like fudging roles as well is like uh, combat and health and HP and stuff. I've seen. Quite a few people on TikTok, because both of us are on D&D TikTok, talking about how, like, some DMs won't set a, like, HP for their, mm-hmm. their like, monster, like, whatever encounter that they're fighting, and will just add up all of the damage that the PCs are doing, and then just kind of call it when it feels right. Yep. Um, yeah, and I've, then, I've done like, that quite a few times. For, for big bosses in particular, I yeah. think that's where that runs in, like, super clutch, because it's like, I could give this creature that realistically has, like, 500 health, 500 health... Or I could just be like, how many like big hits do you all get on him before he goes down or before he starts like having sort of disadvantage in combat? And that yeah. to me feels a lot more fun. Yeah. I think that stuff is really fun. And I also think it's something where like if you originally set um, like a, a max HP or something like that and then three of your players crit immediately you're free to fucking that combat up it. encounter is about to like be a hell of a lot shorter than you you're expected free to up it, it to. baby like yeah. that's when you hit like dark soul second phase shit like oh you thought you got him the first time now he gets bigger and does more yeah, damage now he's back yeah uh, like, you're fighting a hydra mm-hmm. surprise yep um like for the same way that you can bring npcs in or give players like a ridiculous amount of damage because you know they're not going to be able to survive the combat counter if you don't you can also do the opposite which is i want this thing to be more fun and last longer yeah or uh, you bring in goons. That's one of Robert's goons. favorite things to do is you've well, got the big guy and then you've got a million little I guys that keep fucking showing up. Just a few big guys. And then players started com- to complain that they wanted goons to fucking dick on. So I was like, all right, here are some goons to dick on. But I'm not just going to get rid of no, my one big guy. No, it's 25 goons and a kraken. Yeah, but that's more fun for me because then I still get to have my fun as the Kraken that it has a long, like a fucking laundry list of spells and you all get to have your fun two tapping goons. Yeah. It still allows us to have fun. Um, so yeah, to switch a little bit from the DMs, I feel like I've already talked a lot. Uh, how do you manage that then and like how to be like a good person as a player? Especially when, and we kind of talked about this, I think last episode of the episode previous, when you have yourself playing a character that is not an inherently good person. Yes. It's it's one of those things where it's tricky because like all the things I've talked about of like staying in character and finding your character and blah, 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 kind of go out the window a little bit when you're playing an evil character. <laughs> like you have to be aware that you are someone playing at a table mm-hmm. and also be aware of your character. And so this your actions affect other people. Yeah, I would suggest if you're f- like first getting into D&D, I cannot highly suggest enough playing a like morally, a little bit more of like a morally aligned character, like a good character mm-hmm. simply because it is easier. Um, because when you're getting into like playing a fucked up person, how do you like, how do you, be evil, but also still be like a good player because it is a mm-hmm. team game. 
you have a party that you were supposed to be helping. And so you have to like kind of actively think about, okay, what is actively going to help the people at my table and like the other PCs, Mm -hmm. but is still true to who my character is. Mm -hmm. And it's a really tricky line to toe. If you are playing like, for example, if you're playing like a um, what what's a like more fucked up alignment? Um, not like chaotic evil. Chaotic evil, crazy to be pa- so playing a annoying. chaotic evil character. But if you're playing a chaotic evil character it's and like, you're in a party full of people who are not mm-hmm. chaotic evil, you're gonna have a really fucking hard time. You're gonna have a difficult time because it's like okay. Especially when you consider like chaotic evil is like I go around and kick puppies it's and burn down Joker. orphanages because it's fun. It's the Joker. Uh huh. It's crazy. So it's like, how do you put like Batman and the Joker in the same party? And like have them work together yeah. and bond and like have fun. I think fun. the easiest way to or, like, do Superman it. like Superman and the Joker. Because that's yeah. like Paladin and then somebody that's evil. Yeah. You and, can't. And that's something that I think is really difficult. And I think that there's some like <clears throat> easy cop out ways for it. I think you can make like the party be like the people you actually like. And you take out all of these chaotic evil things mm. on other people. But then yeah. don't be a fucking murder hobo. And don't like. I, and that's another kind of like rule for players. Like don't be a dick. Because we talk a lot about don't be a dick. But what does it mean mm-hmm. to not be a dick at the table? Yeah. Um, like, don't, don't go around. Don't kill NPCs. Just kill, it's fun. Yeah. Like, Don't take away other people's moments and, like, insert yourself. Yeah. I think the only time you really need to be playing, like, a true, like, chaotic evil character and you're open about... It's another thing if you're playing a secretly evil character, which is Mm -hmm. a whole other ballgame. Yeah. Having an ulterior motive is so much different than just being a dick from the rip. Yeah. Like, it's... it's Sometimes twists are a little bit annoying and overly cliche, but, like, it's, it's a very different situation if you're playing... A lawful evil character who masquerades as like a lawful good character and is maybe has a goal of like stealing the crown jewel the whole time or like they know that in a really crucial key moment they're gonna let all the other players go yeah um and then trying to like string them along for the campaign because then it's like a fun game of like detective yeah um and then it's like, holy shit, didn't see that twist coming. Yeah. Um, which is a DM. That twist can only happen once because yeah. your other players are not going to then bring Trust that you. person back into the fold. No. If you if you set one player up as a fucking spy from the get-go and then they, they do like their big reveal moment and then try to kill all the other players, that shit's happening once. <laughs> that's happening once. It's happening once. You're getting fucking jumped. Yep, that's going to PvP. That spy character may or may not die. Regardless, they're skedaddling, and you're making a backup character yeah. for the person that was a spy. But you can also have a journey of you can start off playing an evil character with ulterior motives, and then maybe you start to actually like you the party, and then maybe person. you decide that these guys aren't that bad and mm-hmm. that you'll help them. Um, well, that's where it's like, I would save every one of these players... If it meant, like, if the alternative was, like, sacking the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's when that, like, ulterior bad person motive turns into just, like, uh, I'm going to make the decisions that other people don't want to make. I'm picking my friends any day of the week. Yeah, and I think one of the, like, funniest things, and one of my favorite dynamics ever is, like, At the end of that TMN Bahamut fight, when y'all were like, this is not worth it. Yeah. Skedaddle. It happened so many times in our first campaign. Y'all just ran. Y'all are like, this so is So many <laughs> times we were just like, I'm going to cut my losses. This is not my fight. This is not worth me this losing This realm can <laughs> get KO'd. I'm going to go. That shit happened. And like, we so even often. had it set up for a little bit where it was almost like, it looked like there was a possibility of like it going PVP with like a spy character because one of the characters was brought into the party with the like the, spy. the entire task of kidnapping yeah. um yeah. and subverting the one of the characters the rest of the party. Yeah. Um but 
And then he ended up like basically falling in love with that character. Yeah. Wait, which one? London. I was talking about Caliban. I was talking about London. Oh, well, I mean, okay. Then there were two. There were two, kind of. There were two that were basically supposed to like fuck up. Caliban um, in particular, though, yeah. Yeah, Caliban's literal task from the like the bad guy I'm was about the hey, fact that he had go to hire kidnap this girl. Two and he said, players. Okay. Neither one of them worked. They both no. just got folded into the party immediately. I tried so hard. You, I set up two characters <laughs> with like full motivation to do the wrong thing, and neither one of them stuck to it. Yeah, and it's one of those things where like Bunch of motherfuckers. <laughs> I'm listen. Magnolia was just that. She was just that girl. She well, was it, just that. It's lovable. also one of those things. You're all friends in real life, and so it's real yeah. easy to forget about the fact that you're supposed to be at your core an uh, evil person when you're just having a good time with your friends. Yeah, and that's fine. Let that happen. And it was one of those things of like. The the character Caliban immediately found like a new thing that he was like, actually, I yeah. am worried. About, I want to become rich. Yeah, he's like, he t- did a one eighty out of nowhere and was, was just like, like you know I'm what's gonna a, be capitalistic. Yeah, you know what's more fun than getting like my own ranch in a separate universe? What if I just introduce capitalism to like the multiverse and be at the center of that scheme? Wild. Uh huh. Wild situation. Shit was wild as fuck. But like, even with the first one, immediately just getting like folded into like mm-hmm. the party, and it's something where like. Even if you have, and like one of my favorite tropes ever is like reluctant bad guy or Uh like reluctant, like when you're watching a show and it's like, okay, the bad guy has to team up with the good guys and they don't want to be there. And the good guys also don't like working with them, but they Mm. have the same goal. But you have So it's just, and I think that that's something very fun that you can play at the table, which is like, Mm. I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this, but motherfucker, I have to. So... I guess I'm going to heal you, and I guess I'm going to, like, put all these protection spells on you, and I guess I'm going to, like, lay down my life for you. It was like, we got to offer for dogging on this guy, but we got to keep him alive. He's crucial to all the info. Like, he's the key to all the information that we need to know. So, like, we've downed him, but now how do we keep him alive (laughs) when there are other combatants in the game, including a player that's just determined to see him die? Yeah, and that was another moment of, like, I think there's ways for you to ethically have PvP at the table mm-hmm. other than just, like, straight boxing each other. Yeah. And that was something we had a lot in our last campaign. Just going back and forth on, like, objectives is, like, yeah. is one that's a really easy way to do it without having to introduce straight up, like, combat v. combat. Just having players at the table that have, like, contradicting goals they are going to intersect at some point, and when that happens, it can be fun. And there's ways for you to be a little, like, evil and a little fucked up without taking it out on your party members. Mm-hmm. If you have a completely ulterior motive and it's something that goes against what the rest of the party wants, try to convince them. Well, that's... Like, that's a whole nother, like, thing that you can do as a player. Yeah, that happened with me in this in the campaign that I'm still in. Um, I played a paladin, and... Well, still, I am still playing a paladin. Paladin uh, with the Redemption Oath, which basically is like you're a Jedi, um, but it's the extreme to which you won't even kill bad guys. Like, Jedi will still cut a Sith in half. Like, there's yeah. no qualms about what they'll do with the lightsaber. <laughs> um, they just try to do it from an emotionless, objective perspective. And trying to be Yeah, and trying to be, like, good people. Um, my guy was just like, I'm not going to let anybody die. I'm not letting the goblin die. Like I was hard, like started the campaign, which I talked about this a couple of sessions ago. I've ended up in a very different place, (laughs) um, to the point where I've been smited by my patron God, but I started as like, I'm not going to let anybody die. Everybody can be redeemed. You can, you can turn them around and set them on the right path. I, I turned a couple of kobolds that were eating people like cannibalistic style 
cool. into a couple of tinkerers, and we have them in our house, and they make shit for us now. I call them the Teenage Mutant Ninja Kobolds, because that's literally all they're there for. They've been reformed. Yeah, this is Jerry. He used to eat people. Sorry, I've got a lisp. I've got a... Now he now he makes weapons of mass destruction for us in the free time so that we oh, can I, be that's murdered. not what I took tinkering as. <laughs> it, tinkering it as like he makes like cute little like they made me a suit like one time. Blocks. Like yeah, it just depends, truly. Like they're artificers genuinely. Like there's one main guy that's smart and the other two are stupid, so it's just like he t- he sends them to go he do does. what they need. He like they, they go shopping for us all the time. It's funny as fuck. But anyways, um the other one of the other characters in the player or <laughs> one of the other players in the campaign um, was, like, lawful evil or chaotic evil and mm-hmm. wanted to, like, find the seedy underground and, like, work for the big boss. And at one point was like, I have a job. Let's go do it. And I was, like, being naive. Sure, let's go do the job. Yeah. And then it turned out we had to kidnap somebody and then sell him to another, like, another organization. Jesus. And it very quickly turned into, like, this is going to be combat. Like, I'm I'm asking you, player to player, roll fucking initiative because yeah. I'm sticking to this. You are not selling a man. I don't care what the reason is. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, there's a reason. I promise. Like, you just get get through the fucking deal, and we'll talk about it after. And I'm like, no. Hey, this shit sucks. Do you have something you want to send in to make it better? Criticisms, topics you'd like to see discussed, or an advertisement you'd like to run? Maybe you even want to sponsor an episode. If so, shoot us a message at mc460 at evansville.edu or DM us on Instagram at Crescent Magazine. Or we'll never get better like these fucking guys. Absolutely not. And that's one of the things of like it, it, the good, good ways for PvP to emerge is is from like objective and from like mm-hmm. motive and everything. But the thing that get that got hard about that was I could see genuine frustration from him as a player because he had so many goals that he knew if I was along for, which we're a party of like three, so mm-hmm. we go everywhere together. Anytime I was present or with him or around him, I was ultimately going to be the foil to his plan. Yeah. Like, every time. And that's one of those things where, like, as players, you've got to find ways to kind of, like, figure out and address it. And if you... And, I mean, you could do that with a one-on-one conversation mm-hmm. with the other player, Have for a sure. Conversation with but them I think like, there's hey, also bro, ways of, like... I didn't like, mean it. Of, like, lie... I'm not, like, pro-lying lying to your party all the yeah. time. But, like, lie to your party. Tell them that you're doing something different. Which is so and hard then, to do when the person you're lying to has, like, a plus nine to insight. Because well, it's, like, have fun. Well. Yeah. Like, it just... It gets tricky, though. Like, genuinely. And there was a point where I was, like, I don't want to keep, like... We, you have it on, on a point in here, like, don't don't talk. Don't interest yourself in another person's, like, peak story moment or emotional yeah. moment. And I could see that there was genuine frustration with him because there were a few big moments where I was like, I cannot let this happen. And I stuck to it, I think, looking back at it, a little too much. Yeah. Like, I think there were definitely a few moments where I could have been like, I'm just going to turn a blind eye. I really like you as a person. Like, I easily could have pivoted that I'm going to let nobody do wrong into I'm going to redeem you as a player. Yeah. I'm going to let you do what you're doing. But then I'm going to, like, read the tier Bible to you at night. And we're gonna we're gonna figure this out. I can fix yeah. you, and I didn't. I was just like, nope, not gonna let it happen. And I mean, it's something you'll always have characters that you look back on, and you're like, ooh, well, I mm-hmm. should have played that better. Which this like, character has gone through such a wild arc. I mean, he went from that to like, I'm just gonna murder people because the world clearly has no consequences for me. I can do no wrong. To I don't have just, any eyes God anymore. God complex, real quick. Mm-hmm, which is I don't have any eyes anymore, and I'd like to get them back someday. So um, no, that's fair. I'm a chill. I'm gonna stop hitting people. I'm not gonna lose the attitude, but I'm gonna stop killing people. That's fair. Yep. But like, 
But anyway, how do you be a good player? Mm -hmm. uh, because we talk about not being a dick a lot. Yeah. Um, a good player to me as a player, like from another player, mm -hmm. is someone who uh, is supports like what you're trying to do mm -hmm. or can aids at least your, pick up yeah, on like what you're trying your to objectives, do. Aids your objectives, role play better. Yeah. Aids in your story and like just kind of like support is genuinely like the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. um, We're and all in this together. Yeah. If you see the rest like, of that because copyright. But. Yeah. If you see that a player is like really trying to do something or this is something that's so clearly important to the character and mm -hmm. they keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. Help them out a little bit. You then. as a player helping them out. That's what I think makes you a good player. Yep. And like not always choosing yourself mm -hmm. over another character because mm -hmm. I think some of the most impactful moments in D&D are when you pass the baton or mm -hmm. pass the moment when you help somebody in that someone moment. else yeah 100% um, and so I think that like just considering other people truly I mm -hmm. think is like the biggest thing that you can do to be a good player and I like I like providing concrete examples um, so I think a really good example of that could be and I, I don't have a, a situation in mind but like with the paladin I know there have been a couple times where like we have um we have like a werebear character whose like whole subclass class has been basically homebrewed because he wanted to basically just play a fucking bear. Um, and he gets angry a lot. Like he he has I don't think he goes into raids, I think he's a fighter, but there have been a lot of moments where like his big like peak moments were him getting so angry at somebody that he wanted to kill them. And me as a paladin, like the way that I would assist then in those moments as a player was like, okay, for this one moment, for this one instant, I will turn a blind eye, I will help you get what you need, and then we're done. Mm -hmm. um, or like they, as a player, what he, he would like, look at me pleading, like, I have to kill this person. I have to kill this NPC as a player. I really, really don't want to, but everything that I've done up to this point means that I have to. So then the way that I kind of try and support him in that moment is I take my character and put myself directly between his character and the person he doesn't want to kill. Yeah. And then be like, and then it's a fun thing where it's like me, like, hand on both chests trying to push people away. Like, yeah. listen, I'll, I'll lay my life in the line if it means that you don't cross that moral line for yourself. Yeah. Um, and then, like, it's a fun, like, height of emotion kind of moment for both of us. I'm not taking it away from him. He's still doing 95% of the talking in this moment. But I'm going to insert myself to give him more to go off of and in to a way help that him is as a player. Helpful. Yeah, and to, like, continue to aid in his objective. And I think that that's, like, one of the best things that you can do as a player, like, for another player. And mm -hmm. I think that, like, once again, we talked about, like, playing evilly and, like, how do you do that? And I think that you can still do that and still aid other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there's a moment where, like, um, you are, like, your character I don't know is... why the first person that came to mind was Ricky. I'll talk about Ricky when you get done with your point. <laughs> Jesus but Ricky, Christ. Ricky, to me, is that person. Continue. Oh, my God. I'll explain uh, who Ricky is in a minute. <laughs> I love Ricky. But if you as a player are playing, like, a character who is your entire... Your, your oath of revenge, mm -hmm. Paladin. My bad. Um, you're good. And Robert just kicked the fuck out of me for anyone listening. Yeah. Um, Oath of Revenge, you were trying to kill this one person. Mm -hmm. But you know that, like, you're a relatively, with, the, like, the exception to this guy, you're a normal person. And someone else in your party is, like, recognizes, okay, maybe this person has, like, a, an evil character and trying to figure out a way to get this player to stop mm -hmm. killing this other, like, the bad guy. Being like, okay, they've got valuable information. I'm going to hold the PC back and let them, like, and kind of what you were talking about and, like, do the talking and being like, okay, but also, like... I'm still going to get my kind of like motive and objective in there. Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. think that there's lots of ways to do that. Keep them alive just long enough to get your shit just, you know, shit over with and you're done. But yeah. the, the doing the, um, the, the trope of like doing the right things for the wrong reasons or doing the wrong <laughs> things for the right reasons, like playing that evil character that's like willing to do what other people won't. 
Ricky is like a fucking textbook example in my mind. Ricky is an NPC in our newest campaign about superheroes. He's best friends with um, Dakota, who's playing Sebastian. They both come up in like this area called the Eastern Fringes, which is basically just like a really uh, low, kind of impoverished industrial area. Yeah. And Sebastian's character is like more of on the up and up. He doesn't really get involved in crime. He doesn't really give in to the local gangs. He very much is just like there to help his aunt and his sister. Ricky, on the other hand, is like actively in the system. He's like, if it's not going to work for me, I'm going to work for it. Um, yeah. And is just fully in crime syndicate, trying to get a part of a Has gang. Has become like is what, becoming a crime boss like the new crime quickly. boss in that area. But he's taking the approach of also like protecting the people in the east, the eastern fringes, and he's done it several times now, specifically with Sebastian. There have been two moments where Sebastian was going to die. Ricky was in both encounters. And, I mean, we're a group of superheroes, or y'all are a group of superheroes, right? Yeah. So, like, the goal is to, like, not kill people, ideally, just because I there, mean, are, there I, are consequences. Like some people's goals. There some are other some people at our party just don't give a fuck. Yeah. The consequences in this world of killing people are, like, the city begins to trust you less and less. You all get a negative PR. The police are actively hunting for you versus, like, yeah. the Avengers. They're working with you. They're giving you information. They call you in on big jobs. You might like, get called a bootlicker a couple times, mm -hmm. but guess what? People aren't trying to kill you. Exactly. Or arrest you. There's bounty on you, so on and so forth. But Ricky is one of those characters where it's, like, my top priority at the end of the day is, like, making a bag and keeping my best friends alive. And so mm -hmm. he has just flat out shot two people in the face yeah. because Sebastian was about to die. Yeah. Um, and I think it at the table, like, Dakota and Sebastian kind of reacts in this, like, I can't agree with what's happening, but like, thank you for keeping me alive in this moment. We're yeah. gonna pretend that didn't happen. Yeah, it's Ricky's a lot a of complicated like, individual. we're gonna just ignore that, mm -hmm. and we're gonna ignore the fact that you are on a massive amount of speed right now. Yep. But that's um, like another one of those instances where you can have characters that are like, because I would consider Ricky like chaotic evil, but not in the Joker way, more of like an opportunistic way. Yeah. Ricky, at the end of the day, will still show up for his friends and be there for his friends and save his friends, but like his. His ultimate end of the goal, end of the line, where I want to be, he wants to be Codfather. He wants to be, like, on top of the food chain. Yeah. He wants to be running the gangs. And Codfather is the, like, the money. like, the big mob boss. Yeah, uh, they've got doxed world. and then outs. Um, <laughs> but, like, I would label him chaotic evil, but he's still actively performing good actions for yeah. the party. And, like, that's a fun way that you can introduce a character that has an alignment where instinctively you're thinking, there's no fucking way they're working with the party. Yeah. Like, nobody told Ricky to stop. Because Ricky was, Ricky was helping. Ricky was being helpful in that moment. Not in the way that they wanted him to be, but like the alternative to him not being there and not doing that was losing a player. And that's another thing that you can do like as a player of being like, okay, just because you're playing an evil character or an asshole character doesn't mean that you can't care about people. I mm -hmm. think it is 100 times more impactful and it oh, is more grounding and it is it is truer if you do care about people. The and if you care about the people so in your stupid. party, it's going to make things so much easier for everyone involved because mm -hmm. you can do that. You can be the like evil little fucked up guy when you're fighting people you or when you're interrogating though. people and you're like, hey guys, don't worry. You shout don't have to, to get your hands shout dirty. Shout out to the shadow. I got this. I'm going to go beat the fuck out of this person. I'm gonna and like him. interrogate them. Here. Here's like a, here's a couple dollars. Go get yourself ice cream. I'll be right yeah. back. Yeah, like and that's very much like a thing that is happening in mm -hmm. like in our, our campaign our is we've got a character am. named the Shadow who's Diet Batman and like but like a lot worse. and like like <laughs> tortures and beats the fuck out of people. And then you also have members in the party like my character Nightlight who is just a fucking ray of sunshine and she believes be like a hero, baby. she's spent one of her entire turns where she could have been doing some cool shit moving a guy that she knocked out out of the way because she didn't want to accidentally run him over with a car and kill him 
because she would never kill anyone. Which I love that. I love that some. I mean, we have um, at the table, we have uh, what are called heroic moments. So the, uh, the source book that I'm using, I think it's called Capes and Crooks. I did buy it. Um, it's a fantastic source book. Not going to shit on it. Truly, really, I love everything that's inside of it. But one of the mechanics that they introduced for this superhero universe is heroic moments. Essentially, whenever a player does something particularly heroic, you say, I'm going to reward you with a heroic moment, and they get a D6 that they can add to any role. And when Madison uh, slash Nightlight made the choice to move the guy out of the way, like spending a whole turn instead of immediately going and helping her friend, I was like, heroic moment, 100%. Didn't make a whole lot of sense to some people at the table, because uh, they were like, Because everyone else was just killing bitches. <laughs> yeah, but like the fact that you're going to spend a whole turn staying true to yourself and your morals doing something, not necessarily heroic, but you're not, you're taking like the active decision to not kill somebody for convenience, which is very much something a villain would do or a lawful evil character would do mm. or a chaotic evil character would do. Like, heroic moment. Um, and I think that's a fun thing about that mechanic in this game is it gives me a, a much more direct way to tell people when I think that they're staying true to their character and when they're performing like morally good or morally like uh, on the up and up actions. Yeah. Uh, whereas traditional 5e doesn't really have a system for that. Like, yeah. One of the things I really like about like kids on bikes and that system is mm -hmm. they do these things called adversity tokens, which you get every time you like you don't fail a roll yeah if you fail a roll which is super mm -hmm. awesome then you can use those as kind of like points to get yourself up to another roll love to but actually you can start also... rolling that in side note i'd love to start rolling that into some of my campaigns in 5e because i think that's yeah. i think it works i think it's well, really when cool when your character is fucked up on six different rolls in a row yeah you're just gonna get tired of it it's yeah. like and that I'm helps ready avoid for the, this like, shit the... to work yeah and it avoids the player fatigue of like and this also i guess kind of goes back to like budging roles and like ethical dming of like mm -hmm. if you notice that a player is really struggling because they just keep like eating yeah. shit on all of their it looks roles like really can't... down on a particular role or it's like damn i was just one off yeah. you know what fuck it rule of cool you got it dude yeah or even just reaching out and like this has happened before i the one that comes to mind for like at our table was like the pirate one shot if i was playing this character and it was my first time playing anything that was not a spell casting class mm -hmm. i was playing just straight rogue which i don't recommend and we were like doing some fights and I just, I couldn't fucking do anything. I could not hit anything. I, it mm -hmm. was just shit. And so Robert had an NPC basically just come in and be like, cool, he's going to stand next to you and fight. Uh, cause you need assistance right now, mm -hmm. but I'm not going to verbally say that you need assistance and help yeah. right now, but like, I'm going to notice a cool that. moment. Cause like, shout out to captain, not the full handle man. Oh my God. Fucking one of my favorite characters I <laughs> ever role played. It's like if Johnny Depp is like, <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow, like, it, it was on speed. Yeah, or was, he was, like, more of a direct dirtbag. Yeah, it's like he's every HR violation. Can't deny that he's cool as shit, but goddamn, you wouldn't bring him to a, like, you wouldn't take him home, you wouldn't bring Absolutely him to a party, not. you're not hanging out with him. You don't want to tell people you're friends with him. Nope. Um, but he's your boss. Yeah. And he pays you, and he's competent enough. Yeah. And you hate that he's competent. But it's one of those moments where, like, just helping people out, I think, is, like, the biggest thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. Assistance like, is, like, 100% key and when you're talking about being a good player or, like, an ethical DM. Like, just don't let people struggle if you don't absolutely have to. Like, there are times and moments in a story where, like, that's... This is kind of this is like a thing that a lot of DMs like to joke about. I think people who play D and D like trauma is the key way to build a character. <laughs> yeah. Um, to an extent, like by all means, feel free to step in and and unwrite a situation so that a character or a player doesn't have to go through like needless, pointless suffering. Like, yes, it can be fun. Yes, it can be cool. 
Yes, it can make fun character development, but also there's no reason to fucking torture your characters for an entire campaign just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. And it kind of got to a point in my first campaign and a little bit in the second one where I just kept throwing negative consequences and circumstances and backstory points to like certain characters, and I tried to back away from that as time went on because I realized that, I mean, Dark and Gritty Universe is fun, but we're not playing fucking Warhammer 40K like we're yeah. playing D&D. Um, and it's just a very different situation, which... My last, I guess my very last point that I wanted to hit on um, that I kind of talked about in the beginning, but I'm just not remembering at the very end. There are times when you have a really clear idea for a campaign as a DM in a setting and your players have a very different outlook. Mm -hmm. So um, like like I mentioned, I like to do hardline rules. I like things to be more realistic and more weighty. That's just fun to me. I'm also a difficulty junkie in real life. I love playing like Dark Souls. I love playing Last of Us on the hardest difficulty. Mm -hmm. Like I just love the stakes and the consequences and the difficulty. But like Madison is not always a fan of that that play style, of that world feel. Um, And some other players thrive on fucking combat and are so here for all the difficult circumstances and just love to make characters that can like get through that shit. Um, but like going into this campaign, I, I had a conversation with Madison and it was, I, Madison was like, I would love to have a superhero world that wasn't so fucking dark and full of like bad shit and is yeah. like constantly difficult and like unnecessarily full of trauma. And we've certainly had a couple of points here in the early, um, in the early stages of the campaign where like, it is a little fucked up and it is a little dark, but yeah. it is significantly more forgiving of a setting than my previous ones have been. Yeah. But I'm still having fun. Um, and I think that's really important as, as a DM to take away, like, yes, you can make concessions for your players, and yes, you can write your own universe and be very hardline fast, but, like, at the end of the day, you're playing the game to have fun. Like, it's, it's a game. Like, that's what it is. It is a game system. It is a role-playing tabletop game system. Um, and so I think, for me, what really helps is to have a goal of every session to make sure that everyone had fun. Like, yeah. that I had fun, that they had fun. Sometimes there's a story point that they missed, and I'm like, fuck it. If one of you wants to sacrifice a thing in this moment, I'm, like, itching to tell you what it is. You do it. I'm telling you right now. Like, that, this is what it is. Because it's just, like, a fun moment that I want to share with them. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times DMs get into this, like, us versus them mentality, and it's – or me versus them. And sometimes it definitely is <laughs> in don't combat Don't sit here and pretend that you don't get, like – be, and, and sometimes that's fun, though, where it's, like, a competition. It is fun. But then other times it's just, like, really, man? Really? Yeah. Really? I think it's is fun to have that mentality, really? at least from my perspective. I think it's really fun to have that mentality during combat. Mm-hmm. But I during think story in, moments, during it's like, story moments and like during like you didn't have downtime to. and like role play moments, you didn't I, have to do that. Yeah, it's like that feels that way wasn't unnecessary. Necessary at all. Um, but like my whole point for that is just to have a conversation with your players as a DM and vice versa to figure out what kind of a universe you want to to have to play in to be in. How difficult do you want it to be? How easy do you want it to be? Um, like, I am uh, queuing up a couple of ideas for campaigns for not this next semester, because that'll be the second half, but the semester after that. And a few of my ideas were like Jujutsu Kaisen, which is a very popular anime. Um, last of Us, which, if you all have seen the show, played the game, the first thing that comes to mind is it's very Game of Thrones-esque, where it's mm-hmm. like, anybody can die, there is no good in the world, zero yeah. light in anybody's eyes, it's all fucking bad. Every yeah. time you think you're going to get a bad. semblance of like good or happy, it's bad again, because you yeah. live in a real world with real people. Um, and I straight up told them in the little descriptions when they were choosing which one they wanted to be, and I was like, Last of Us is going to be the most intense campaign we've played so far. Like, yeah. it's going to be like a you get, we're not doing HP. You get hit three times by any particular enemy or three times total in a combat encounter, you're, you're down, down, you're infected. Yeah. Like, you have, at most, like, a few turns before you will fully turn into an enemy. 
Um, and it's just going to be brutal. Like everyone would have to have backup characters and so on and so forth versus like the one that we ended up landing on, which is going to be sci-fi based in uh, Mass Effect universe. One of my favorite game series. It's going to be a fun sci-fi space opera. Yeah. We're not going to do a three-hit system. People are still going to have hit points and shields and so on and so forth and guns, and it's going to be fun. But it's not going to be Last of Us, and I set that expectation very clearly because I'm not, I don't want players to be blindsided when they get hit three times by an enemy and then have to fucking kill their character. Yeah. Like. So just to have that Expectations are so important going in. Yeah, set expectations. Expectations in general for everything in life, not just D&D, but like set expectations for yourself, for other people, because it just means that when you finally show up to whatever you're doing, the table, you have fun. Yeah. And you're not let down. Yeah. Which is very easy to do. Oh, yeah. And that was depressing. <laughs> I don't want to end it on a depressing Anything note. else you want to add before we close things out? Um, That was just my last little point. I know, no, that was a really good point. Because um, one of the things of like, there's always like the jokes about like, oh, there's the shopping episodes or like mm-hmm. the masquerade ball episodes the filler, where they go to a slice fancy of event. Slice yeah. of life. I love those things. Mm-hmm. But I also I recognize up, that a lot of people at our table, that's not their speed. And that's okay. Um. But, like, uh, some people at our table prefer combat and prefer things mm-hmm. a little bit more, like, intense and gritty and stuff like that. And, like, I think it's one of the things where, like, and I'm just a player, so mm-hmm. I can't really speak to this. But, like, as a DM, finding that levity and that balance between, like. It's difficult. Like, it 100% is. Because yeah. especially when you're playing on, like, a shorter timeline, like, we just don't. There's no guarantee that everybody's going to be able to continue making our sessions past next semester. So, like, I feel the pressure to speed things up and to make things happen kind of quickly. Like, my last campaign, I very much, once I knew what the timeline was, I was like, here's what's happening in each session generally, so that way I can give these people the ending that they've been wanting for almost two years. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, this is the one universe I think I've, I've made or I've come up with conceptually where I could play this shit for two or three years and still yeah. not have an ending because there's so much in this world to explore. There's so many heroes, so many villains, so many organizations. So like, there's just no way that you all would ever be able to get to the end of this thing without playing this particular campaign for, like, multiple years. Like, it's just yeah. not going to happen. Um, and so part of me is, like, every session needs to be story-heavy and point and point and point and point and point and drive and drive and drive. And that's why it feels like <laughs> it's still a little bit dark despite the fact that I want it to be happy because there's conflict and conflict is naturally going to feel heavier than like the lack thereof. Yeah. But it's hard for me to sit down and be like, all right, we're going to have a slice of life episode. Yeah. I know I only have four sessions left with you all and there's no way I'm going to be able to tie this up. Yeah. But here's just three or four hours of you all fucking around and doing nothing. I mean, and that's what we ended up doing during our last campaign is we like set aside and we got like Mm -hmm. two like slice of life episodes right before like the big fight. And it was like the first time we'd been able to have that in that campaign. Let you all relax before it all ends. Yeah. And it was Mm -hmm. fun. It was nice. Um, I wanted this last session to be slice slice of life. And then I remembered where we left off. That you left it with a character in a coma and another character dead. Character dead. Someone just like committed murder. Yeah. I was having a really hard time with that. Like, I left it in a place where I could not do Slice of Life. Yeah. I had to tie off the ends of that. Because <laughs> it was like, I don't know if we could just, like, go to the mall. Because mm-hmm. Homeboy's in a coma. Are we, like, taking him in a coma with us? Yeah. Um. Well, in my mind, I was like, they wake up. I'm going to give them downtime on all of their normal, regular days. I'm going to let them be people. And then maybe they all get coffee or something. And then I was like, actually, one of them is basically in a coma. The other one just committed murder as a child. Yeah. If somebody else is grappling with the fact that they watched somebody get put in a coma, 
And then there's just a hero guy who's just walking around looking for parts. There's just like a robot being like, oh, what can I salvage? What can I scrap? Ooh, a wrench. Yeah, <laughs> like... that's shiny. And another guy's like, I'm getting so much more powerful. Let's find more ways to do that. Like everyone yeah. was in a very different place. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's one of those things that's, that's got to be tricky as a DM. It's um, fucking impossible, dude. Because it's already kind of like tricky as a player when you're like, I would love some downtime, but also we've got shit that needs to get done. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know how I'm even going to... Uh, I wanted this to, this campaign to be like two separate arcs where the first semester was an awake first arc and the second was the second. Nah. No, it's going to take both semesters to get through the first because I'm like, we're over three quarters of the way through the semester and I'm like, there, there's still two people in this party that are level three. Yeah. The highest level we have in the party is seven. And oh, we haven't even hit a that. lot of really big story points yet. Yeah. Like, we're just getting introduced to, like, a big antagonist that's, like, a side plot to the whole story. Yeah. There's not a fucking way. Not a, there's yeah. not a drop. I'm like, we're lucky if this fucking red stripe bitch gets resolved by the end of semester two. <laughs> and it's one of those things where, like, you've got to have conversations between, like, demon players sometimes and be like, okay, let's manage expectations mm -hmm. because things have changed. Like, hey, guys, I want, I want to let you know that the next three sessions are going to be very story heavy and I'm going to info dump because I don't want to waste it, but also we don't have time. Yeah. Set expectations. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Table Talk. I gotta fucking go to work, so. We'll see you next Thursday. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.